Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, Yitzchak goes to Gerara, goes to Gerara, sorry, just like Abraham went to Mitzrayim. Now, Rashi hasn't got anything to say at this point, but he does sort of address this point in Pasuk Bet. Pasuk Bet says, Vayera elav Hashem. Hashem appeared to him, Vayomer, and he said, that's Hashem said to Yitzchak, Al tered Mitzrayma, do not go down to Egypt. Shochein va'aretz asher omar elecha, dwell in the land which I will say to you. So Rashi says on that, Al tered Mitzrayma, because it was his mind, it was Yitzchak's mind to go down to Egypt, just like his father went down in the days of the famine. Omar lo, so Hashem said to him, Al don't go to Egypt. And then I want to pause for a moment because uh, we'll carry on with Rashi in just a moment. So what Rashi has done is explained why Hashem tells him to do something. So if, if, if somebody, a parent, a teacher, Lahavdil, Hashem himself, says, don't do X, then we need to know why we would have thought of doing X. It's a little bit like when a school sends out a letter saying, we just like to remind all parents that uh, hair should be tied back. What do you immediately know is going on in the school? Hair is not being tied back, or there's life. Or something is not happening. Yeah, maybe in the primary school. Okay, so you, if somebody issues an instruction, don't do X, then there must be a context for why somebody says don't do X. So if Hashem says, don't go to Mitzrayim, why would Hashem say that? So Rashi answers that by saying it was Yitzchak's intention to go to Mitzrayim. Um, and why would it be his intention to go to Mitzrayim? Because his father went to Mitzrayim. And by the way, so I don't want to labor this point, but a lot of what Yitzchak does is a copy of what his father did. So that would explain why Hashem says, don't go to Mitzrayim because Yitzchak was thinking of going to Mitzrayim. Yitzchak was thinking of going to Mitzrayim because that's what his father did. So that's why Hashem says, I'll tell you Now, if we carry on with the Rashi, he says, because you are a perfect offering. And outside of Israel is not fitting for you. Now, why is Yitzchak an Ola to Mima? Because he became an Ola. He was offered on the, on the Mizbeach on Hahamaria. By the way, it's a, uh, uh, we can talk, it's a little bit of a tangent, but it actually fits in with this Rashi. The respective roles of Abraham and Yitzchak at the Akedah, they were both tested, but it was a very different test. Abraham's test was to bring up his child as an offering. Yitzchak's test was to make himself into an offering. Abraham, as it were, passed the test, but didn't actually carry out the command because the command was rescinded. Yitzchak passed the test and fulfilled his test. He became an offering. He put himself on the Mizbeach. He was bound on the Mizbeach. That's why we call it the Akeda Yitzchak. Uh, there's a Midrash that said he told his father, bind me very tightly so I won't flinch, because if I flinch, then I might become, uh, there might be a mum, there might be a blemish. So he really, really did turn himself into an offering. Um, this year will run and run, and it will certainly get, we'll, st- we'll certainly still be having this year when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, Yitzhak Hashem. And I can just mention now, now maybe we'll recall it, 
that on Rosh Hashanah, we talk all about the Akedah, it's like the motif of Rosh Hashanah. And our model for the, what we learn from the Akedah is not to be like Abraham, but to be like Yitzchak, to turn ourselves into an offering. And there's lots of ways in the liturgy and in other things that we can see when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, that we are trying to make ourselves into an Ola, whatever that means. We'll talk about that another time. So Yitzchak is an Ola Tamima. And therefore, Ein Chutzala Aritz Now, it's a little bit hard to understand what's Rashi's basis for this idea, because unfortunately, there aren't many examples of people becoming Olot. In fact, there's just one. So we haven't got a representative sample to infer things from. But it would seem that just as a regular offering, like an animal, which is brought to the Bet Megdash, it becomes possible if they leave the environs of the Bet Megdash. So different Korbanot have different uh, uh, boundaries. Some they can't leave the Azara, they can't leave the courtyard. Other things have to be consumed uh, when they come to be eaten, they have to be consumed in the Bet Mikdash or they have to be consumed in Yerushalayim. Masa has to be consumed in Yerushalayim. Shlomim has to be consumed in Yerushalayim uh, and various other things. So Rashi seems to be saying, based on Chazal, that when Yitzchak becomes an Ola Tamima, he also has a concept of an area which is fitting and an area which is not fitting. And in the case of Yitzchak, the area is the entirety of Eretz Israel. But now he's become an Ola Tamima, he can't go outside of Eretz Israel. Can I ask, is, yes. the, is the Ola a reference to the type of Quran and Ola, or is it just a... I suppose so. Um, do you mind closing the door? Thanks very much. Um, in the beginning of Bayikra, the first thing we learn about is an Ola in the context of being offered as a free will offering, a Doron, a present to Hashem. There are various Olot which have to be brought for certain sins. Most sins, if you do them inadvertently, you have to bring Chatat. But some sins, if you do them inadvertently, you have to bring an Ola. But an Ola can be brought as a Dafka, as a present. Shlomim can also be brought as a voluntary thing. Um, to be as a present for Hashem, but I suppose Shlomim are slightly less Kodesh than an Ola. Um, there are various ways you see that in, in the detailed laws of uh, how they're treated, but also because a Shlomim is a tripart a tripartite event. It, bits are eaten by Hashem, as it were, by being burnt on the altar, bits are taken by the Kohen, and bits are eaten by the person bringing the Shlomim. That's why it's a peace offering, perhaps, because it makes peace between all parties. It's also an amazing idea that you can perform the most secret of acts and then enjoy a really good juicy steak as a result, which is not normally considered a sacred activity. So that's another interesting idea, and that's expressed by a shlomim. But perhaps an ola, I'm, I'm sort of speculating, I think with justification, is the number one free will offering. So an ola is like the best thing to be. Yeah. Okay, continues the pasuk. Pasuk Gimel, continuing Hashem's words, Gur ba'eretz hazot, dwell in this land, ve'ehyeh imacha, and I will be with you, ve'avarachecha, and I will bless you. Ki lecha ulezaracha etein et kol ha'aretz ha'el, because to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands. Ve'hakimoti et ha'shavua ha'shenishbati la'avraham avicha, and I will fulfill, I will maintain the promise which I promised to Abraham, your father. Uh, Rashi has almost nothing to say on that, so it seems straightforward. 
Hashem is renewing to Yitzchak, the second generation, the promise he made of giving Eretz Yisrael the to the first generation, to Abraham. And Hashem is saying that promise is going to be coming to you as well. Rashi has one comment on the word ha'el, and he says it's kamo ha'ela. So the word these in English, which is normally spelled ha'ela with a hay on the end, here is spelled ha'el without the hay on the end. So it could be that Rashi is just telling you this is a rarely used form that you might not recognize. Don't worry, it's equivalent to ha'ela. I did see a very, uh, I thought, a clever observation. I'm not sure it's shut in Rashi, but how many lands was Abraham promised at the Brit Benabatarim? Just one. No, the lands of how many nations? Yeah. Okay, the answer is 10. Then at the, uh, later on, the, uh, there seems to be redrafting and he's only promised the land of seven nations. And from this, we get the idea, the Ramban's got a way of explaining it, which is perhaps slightly different from Rashi, that um, in the future, Abraham's descendants, i.e. us, will get all 10 lands sometime in Mashiach or sometime in the future so there'll be the seven and then there'll be another three question is what are those other three how where are those other three um whatever um so there is uh, we can see a progression uh, Hashem promises Yitzchak the seven lands which is not quite the same as he originally promised to Abraham so the promise is slightly reduced maybe and I'm not sure this is shut but maybe at Kol Ha'aratzot Ha'el is a reduction from Kol Ha'aratzot Ha'ela. That's clever. Okay. And then Hashem carries on in Pasuk Dalet. Behirbeiti et zaracha kechokhve hashamayim. I will um, multiply your descendants like the stars of the heaven. Benatati lezaracha et Kol Ha'aratzot Ha'el. Same word. And I will give to your descendants all these lands. The hit barachu bazaracha kol gaye haaretz. The hit barachu bazaracha. So says Rashi, explaining the words the hit barachu. Adam omer livno. A person says to his child, Yehei zaracha kezaro shel Yitzchak. Let your descendants be like the descendants of Yitzchak. Vachem bechol amikra. And it's like this throughout scripture. And the literally the father of all this, or the, the clearest example, is um, when uh, yeah, Yaakov blesses Ephraim and Manasseh, and he says, In you, Israel will bless, saying, May Hashem make you, which is the first word of the bracha that we give to our children on Friday night, to our male children, Yesimcha, Elokimke, Ephraim, Ukamanasha. Make may Hashem may make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. What is going on here? Rashi is explaining the hit barachu, and he's translating it as the nations will be blessed in your descendants. Now, how does it mean they will be blessed? Well, actually, sorry, it doesn't mean they will be blessed. That's sorry, that's that was a mistake. It doesn't mean they will be blessed. The hit barachu is hit pa'el. It's reflexive. So, what must it mean? they will bless themselves in your descendants. So the grammar is they will bless themselves. What does that mean, they will bless themselves? So Rashi explains what it means is they will bless themselves by saying, may you, my child, be like the descendants of Yitzchak. That's how it means they will bless themselves because the hit barachot, meaning hit pa'el, must not mean 
you, they will be blessed, but rather they will bless themselves. So how does it mean they will bless themselves? So Rashi spells that out. And, and in order to justify his position, he refers to the Ephraim and Menashe case, which is explicit. Bacha Yivarech Yisrael, Leymar Yisimcha, etc. In you, in Ephraim and Menashe, the Jews will bless, i.e. they will bless themselves, saying, may my child be like Ephraim and Menashe. So the person who is the cause of the blessing is basically held up as an example of an aspiration with which they will bless themselves. And then Rashi goes further to say, the Afla Inyan Hakrala, and it's the same with a curse, Matsino came, we also find. So just as they will, people will bless themselves by saying, I bless you that you will be like the descendants of Yitzhak, we find the corollary by saying, I curse you in that you will be like this cursed person. So what's the example? It comes from yesterday's Sedra. The woman, referring to the Sota, who is disgraced and possibly severely punished, but even before she's disgraced, before she's punished, she's disgraced. And it says she will be as a curse. And what does that mean? Someone who curses their enemy will say, You should be like that woman, i.e. that Sota who was so disgraced, you should be like that person. So again, it, it, just as the bracha was, uh, a parent says to their child, you should be like the descendants of Yitzchak. So the curse is, you should be like that cursed person. That's the way of cursing. But what doesn't it mean? Does clearly not mean that the woman will curse people. It cannot mean that. I mean, the grammar doesn't make sense. The grammar doesn't imply that at all even if you like didn't know all your binyanim. And the Matthias, the case doesn't apply that at all because this poor woman, the last thing she's in a position to do is curse other people. So when it says she will be a curse, it must mean that people will curse others based on her example. Uh, as he says, And then another example. Um, um, they will place your name as a promise for those whom I have chosen. Shahanishbar Omer, that someone who promises says, Ehei Kaploni, I will be like so-and-so, imasiti kach if I do such and such. A shavua uh, is often of the form, not just I promise to do X, but I promise to do X, and if I don't, then I should suffer the following fate. That's part of the shavua. So when it says in Yeshaya, that, that your name will be as a Shavua, it means that somebody will make a promise and say, I will be like so-and-so if I don't fulfill my, my promise. Again, what's the point of that other example about the Shavua? It cannot be read as you will promise them. It, it, that makes no sense whatsoever. It must be that somebody making a promise does so in reference to the example of so-and-so. So what Rashi has done is, uh, there's uh, three, four parts to this. First of all, he's explained the Hitbarach in our case. Secondly, he says that could be compared to the Ephraim and Menashe case. Now, that is a clearer case of blessing. Um, so that's why it's a good reference point to our case, because our case could have been misunderstood, but the Ephraim and Menashe one is much harder to misunderstand. But then he brings the curse of the Sota, which could not be understood in any way other than 
I curse you that you should be like X. And then he brings the Shavuah, which also cannot be understood in any other way than I make a promise. And if I don't keep this promise, I should be like X. So Rashi is going through the proof to get a better and better proof to say this must be what the phrase means. It must be that they will be blessed by using you as an example of what they want to aspire to. Does the last example add anything over the third one? Okay, good question. Um, as I was explaining it, I realized I haven't got an answer to that. Um, uh, yes, please. I think the talk about the first is about bracha. I was thinking of kind of question. It doesn't talk about bracha. Someone talks about Allah as a curse, and someone talks about Shua. So maybe talking about, I don't know if it makes sense, maybe the three different categories potentially you could use. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it is. And the Shavuah is different from an Allah. I promise it's different from a curse. But I hear your question, and to be honest, I haven't got an answer. The way I've explained it is the Allah, the case of the Shota, uh, Sota, sorry, um, unambiguously, unquestionably explains our case. And, and Rashi's not in the business. So I, 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 I'm frustrated by my lack of an answer. But I would say to you, Rashi's not in the business of just giving lots and lots of examples to cover all bases. Rashi doesn't need to talk about a Shavua here, as well as an Allah, uh, in order, because Rashi's purpose is to explain the word Bihitbarachal. So I'm not entirely sure why he says Shavua as well. I do know that it's a, it's a very clear case. It cannot be interpreted any other way, which is why it's a good example. I'm not sure why it's a better example than Allah or why the previous one wasn't sufficient. Mm -hmm. So we'll leave that for homework. Mm -hmm. Now we come on to a very, very interesting pasuk, pasuk hey, and it says akev, um, which means a heel, but here means because. Asher shama Avraham b'koli, Avraham listened to my voice, v'yishmor mishmarti, and he guarded my guardings, mitzvotai, my mitzvot, chuchotai, my chukim, v'toratai, and my torot. So the basic idea is, I am blessing you, Yitzchak, because your father, Abraham, was such a good guy. That's the basic idea. Again, just by the way, I can say poor Yitzchak doesn't seem to have much of his own identity. So much of what he does is a reflection of what Abraham did. But that's not our topic. Our topic is Rashi has got a very classic Rashi problem in this verse. What might the classic Rashi problem be? What do all the different things mean? Now, if Rashi weren't Rashi, if Rashi will say the Ibn Ezra, he might say, not the Ibn Ezra says this, what I'm about to suggest, but he might say, that's how Hashem speaks. And that's the Torah is written in the language of man. And Hashem doesn't just say, you did one good thing. Hashem will say, you did one good thing in, in lots of different ways. But that is not Rashi's approach. Rashi's approach will always be to say, if there are two things mentioned, they must be two different things. So in this case, Rashi's got to explain um, one, two, three, four things. Listen to my voice, kept my mishmeret, kept my mitzvah, kept my chukim, and kept my Torah. Five things. The Rashi's got to explain what they all are. So, Pasuk Hey says Rashi, Shema Abraham Bakoli, Kershenesiti Oto, when I tested him. Now, uh, we'll come back to that and we'll see why Rashi picks that as Shema Bakoli. The next thing, Vayishmor Mishmarti. This refers to the decrees which were brought in to distance somebody from the prohibitions in the Torah. Kagon, like for instance, Shniot la Arayot, second degree forbidden relationships, the Shavut la Shabbat, and the things that are 
additionally prohibited on Shabbat. Um, what does it mean, second degree relationships? So the Torah says, for instance, you, a man can't have relations with his mother. The rabbis say a man can't relation, have relations with his mother's mother either. That's a second degree forbidden relation. The rabbis come along and bring a gezerah, a decree, for the purposes of harachaka, of separating us. It's the idea of making a fence around the Torah, which we're probably all quite familiar with. Shavuot to Shabbat, I think we're perhaps more familiar with because we face it myriad times every week because actually the vast majority of the things that we don't do on Shabbat are from the rabbis rather from the Torah, at least in the case of many malachot. Borer is an exception, by the way. If uh, you're not quite sure how to do borer, uh, how to take the bones from the fish or the fish from the bones, you might be nichshol in a isadaraita, in a biblical prohibition. Most of the other things that we don't do on Shabbat are decreed by the rabbis. So says Rashi, well, uh, we're, Rashi, uh, it seems to perhaps go a little bit out of order. That's discussed. I haven't really got a good explanation for that right now. But um, the next one is going to be about the mitzvot themselves. But Rashi says that Abraham also kept, or his understanding of the um, Mishmarti is the rabbinic decrees that were added to keep us away from transgressions, which means the amazing idea. I mean, it's, 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 powerful enough and perhaps hard enough to say that Abraham kept every mitzvah before the mitzvah were given. But according to this Rashi, based on Rashi's understanding of the words, Abraham kept all the mitzvah mid Rabbanan as well. And in particular, Rashi highlights because of the word mishma to guard. What, what are the mitzvah mid Rabbanan that guard? They're the things that keep you away from other transgressions, like um, arayot, like human <clears throat> relations, and like uh, Shabbat. So the next one is mitzvotai, which means, says Rashi, devorim she'ilu lo nichtavu ra'uyen Even things which, if they hadn't been written, they would have been fitted to be commanded about. Kogon gezel u'shvichat damin. Like uh, robbery and murder. Pretty much every society with any degree of civilization has a prohibition of robbery and a prohibition of murder. Without, rob without robbery being permitted, sorry, being prohibited, there's no concept of property. Um, and that leads to all sorts of other sort of failings for civilization to take off. Um, any civilization will realize that murder, sometimes it's qualified, you can, in some cases you can murder some people, you can't murder others, whatever. But, but, but there is an idea that murder is wrong because we know that if we don't prohibit murder, then there's no way society can exist with any degree of law and order. So those are things which would obviously be commanded. Why does Rashi call that mitzvot? Because he has to distinguish it because from what comes next. Chukotai. What are they? Devarim sheyetze hara, ve'umat ha'olam meshivim alehem. They are things, fascinating, two, two groups of people or two entities object to these things which don't have a logical reason, unlike the previous category. And who are the two things, two entities that object? One is the Yetzirah, your own Yetzirah, your own evil inclination, says to each individual, ah, why do you need to keep this mitzvah? It doesn't make sense. And the non-Jewish nations also respond, meshivim alehem, and they say, what's the point of this mitzvah which doesn't make sense? Now, what are the examples? Kagod, achilat chazir, eating pigs, i.e. not eating pigs, ulavishat shatnes, and wearing shatnes, wool and linen mixed together, she'ein tam 
There's no reason for them. But they are decrees of the king, and chukim on his servants. Chukim being things that we don't have a reason for. Few things to say at this point. Number one, I'm always amused by the first example Rashi gives of a chuk, not eating pigs. Why am I amused? Because there are a lot of people who say, sometimes even in the Jewish world who say, ah, where do we get the laws of kashrut from? And these are people who usually think there's only one law of kashrut that they're aware of, which is Jews don't eat pigs. And they get it from the fact that in the desert, pigs were particularly unhygienic and the Jews were really clever nearly 3,000 years before anyone understood about germs and sterility. Um, but the Jews were really clever and they knew it was dangerous to eat pigs in the desert. And that is an example of something they worked out for themselves. Fortunately, we don't live in the desert anymore and we clean our pigs and therefore we can eat. There's a lot of people who say that. Now, not only is this nonsense, because it, even on what I've just said doesn't actually bear any scientific basis, number one. Number two, the laws of Kashrut are much, much more than not eat pigs, as we know. Number three, if the Kashrut laws uh, were developed in the desert and were designed to protect people from illness, the first mitzvah would be boil your water before drinking it, and there is no such mitzvah. Mm -hmm. And apart from all of that, we don't need to go there because Rashi lists it as an example of something for which there is no discernible reason. Now, it, it, it's funny because shatness is often held up as an example of a chok. Why possibly, what's the problem of mixing wool and linen? Well, we don't know, but the Torah says so. And we don't often think of kashra on exactly the same level, but Rashi says it is on the same level. And finally, the Torah tie, lahavi Torah shaval peh, to include the Torah shaval peh, halacha lamosha mesinai. Now, in most, I think in every text, I don't know if there's a variant text, it doesn't say, and halacha lamosha mesinai, it says Torah shaval peh, halacha lamosha mesinai. And I would add, there's a sort of i.e., or kulomar, Torah peh, i.e., halacha lamosha mesinai. We need to unpack this. What do we mean by Torah Shavalpeh? What do we mean by Halach Namosh Normally, Torah Shavalpeh is the oral Torah, as opposed to the Torah Shavichtav, which is the written Torah, the five books of Moses, and the oral Torah is the accompanying explanations that finally get written down in the Mishnah and finally explained in the Gemara. Um, but that, Rashi's not saying that. Rashi's using Torah Shavalpeh in a different sense. And he has to say Torah Shavalpeh in a different sense because he's already included almost all of the Torah Shavar in which category? In mitzvot, or anchukim, because all the details of the mitzvot, we find almost in most cases, not from the Torah Shavar but the Torah Shavar So by saying mitzvot, he's already covered the Torah Shavar but now he's referring to a different type of Torah Shavar Halacha Lemosha Masina. This is a relatively small category of mitzvot, or perhaps explanations, which have no makor in the Torah Shavar at all, and they are just something that Hashem said to Moshe at Sinai, halacha Moshe at Sinai. They have the effect of a daraita, they have the full effect of Torah law, but they're not found in the um, Chumash at all. So if you like, they're a special subcategory of Torah Shavar Most of Torah Shavar is Merame, is Merumas, is alluded to in the Torah Shavichtav. But there are things called Allah which have no makor in the Torah Shabbat at all. So when it says Torah in the plural, it must be talking about another type of Torah, i.e., Allah Okay, let's go back. So 
Rashi has identified which part of the canon of Torah is covered by which of these things. So really it helps to go to probably start with mitzvot. Mitzvot, I think we know what it means, but then there's also chukim. So what's the difference between mitzvot and chukim? So Rashi says mitzvot are those which we can understand. They would be natural commandments, but even if they weren't God, they would have been commanded by society. Chukim are those mitzvot which we can't understand. So what's mishmeret? Mishmeret is guarding so it's the extra decrees from the rabbis, which obviously Rashi thinks Abraham was aware of before the rabbis enacted them, which implies, by the way, that when the rabbis enacted them, they weren't just using their initiative. They were like fulfilling the pre-planned destiny of the Torah because it had already been decreed in some level. Um, uh, so Mishmarat are something to guard Hashem, sorry, to guard Abraham from transgressions, which leaves Shema Bakoli. So what else is left? What did Abraham do where Abraham listened to Hashem's voice, which is not a mitzvah or any other categories? Hence, Rashi says that the only thing left is when Hashem tested him and he gave him 10 tests culminating in the, um, uh, the uh, Akedah. And Hashem said, this is what you've got to do. And that was Hashem's voice directly to Abraham. Hence, Rashi says at the beginning of his comment that Shema B'koli is Nisiti Oto when I commanded him, sorry, when I tested him. Now, um, there is a major discussion on how does it work to say that Abraham kept the whole Torah, and yet we see at least one clear example in his grandson of a transgression, Yaakov. What did Yaakov do, which is an absolutely explicit prohibition? Married to sisters. So there's a lot of discussion. How do we reconcile this? So number one, just let me just throw out a few ideas. Number one, when it says Abraham kept the whole Torah, it doesn't mean Abraham kept the whole Torah. It means Abraham knew the whole Torah and learned the whole Torah. And learning is equivalent to doing. Where do we find that ourselves? Every morning at the beginning of Shacharit, we learn about the Korbanot. We can't bring a Korban today in our present uh, temporary situation where we don't have a Bet Mikdash. And in that time until we do have a bet mikdash we learn about the korbanot so one suggestion is abraham didn't necessarily do all the mitzvot and yaakov didn't necessarily do all the mitzvot but he um learned all about the mitzvot answer number one answer number two abraham kept all the mitzvot doesn't necessarily mean that yaakov did doesn't necessarily mean that yitzchak did um the ram sorry uh, the maharal has a fascinating idea that abraham kept all the mitzvot but Yitzchak and Yaakov only kept the mitzvot aseh, the positive mitzvot. They didn't have to keep the negative mitzvot. Um, and that's why the classic example that we're dealing with, where Yaakov marries two sisters, is a negative prohibition, and that actually wasn't incumbent on him. Another suggestion, which is the Ramban, which I think is quite well known, that says the prohibition, uh, sorry, the requirement to keep the laws of the Torah only applied in Eretz Yisrael. And when Yaakov goes out of Eretz Yisrael, he's able to marry two sisters, which is why, and this is rather tragic, when Yaakov returns to Eretz Yisrael, what happens? Rachel dies. Why Rachel? Because she's, she's the one he married second. So she represents the transgression, which is then corrected when he comes into Eretz Yisrael. Uh, there's more to it than that. There's more to the Rambam than that. But those are just some ideas that, uh, that come out of this discussion. Okay. Yes. 
is it really harsh on Abraham in terms of keeping her with when the angels came serving um Bakar and some other halal like in Bayer? Um or you, yeah. Yeah, that, that is asked about. Um I think the answer is uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I have an idea in my head. I'm not sure if I've ever seen it somewhere, but one answer possibly is that he uh, he kept kosher, but his uh, guests, whom he assumed were not Jewish, did not have to. Um, but actually, a better answer is I think if you look carefully, he served the milk before the meat. I was wondering, well, it's, he gets the meat first. I was looking at it He prepares the meat first because it needs a longer time to cook, but he actually, the chalav. So it's not clear, but in the menu, it lists Chema Bechalav before Ben Abakar. Yeah, but he, that's what he, he's preparing it. But, but the one, but putting it before them is the order of Chema Bechalav and then Ben Bakar in Yud Chet Chet. Okay, I do want to draw your attention to Mem Zayin Kaf Vav. So this is at the end of Parsha by Yegash, and it's Yosef who is in charge, and the last aliyah of Yigash, we learn about Yosef's sort of completely restructuring of the Egyptian economy. He takes advantage of the famine to basically get everything to be owned by the Egyptian state. Um, and the people say, we've given you our money, we've given you our animals, what more can we give you? So he says, I want to have a regular tax on your income, which will always go to Egypt and go to Paro. And we read in Menzaim Kafav, Yosef Yosef made it a chok until this day. Al Admat Mitzrayim, the Pharaoh one fifth of the produce of the land would go to Paro. And then, but not the land of the Kohanim. So the word chok is used there to explain, it fits nicely with something that doesn't really um, come out of any logical positions. It was like an extra decree that Yosef said because. It sounded like because he thought it because he felt like it, but it wasn't justified by some sort of logical position, like, for instance, the prohibition of murder or the prohibition of stealing. So this word chok here is used, I think, in the same way that Rashi understands it here, and 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 we understand it generally that a chok is something that we don't understand. It doesn't have a logical underpinning. Okay. Yes. Interesting that the title is read uses my understanding was mitzvot is like a general um, topic that includes chokim and maybe mishpatim. Like you look at in Bishalach when they go to Marat, it's like some chokum mishpat, he says, and, and doesn't <coughs> okay. Yeah. Normally, you're right. A mitzvah, is, there's 630 mitzvot, yeah. some of which are chokim and some of which are not. <coughs> so, um, by the way, Rav Hirsch, in his whole um, categorization of mitzvot in Chorev, is roughly based on the question of the Ben Chacham. What does the Ben Chacham say? Ma ha'idut va'mitzvot v'chukim v'hamishpatim. And Rav Hirsch, not, I don't think it's exactly like that, but it's similar. He divides up the, the mitzvot and he has a category called mitzvot and a category called chukim. Uh-huh. Um, I would say Rashi is very much forced to this position, whether he normally uses that phraseology or not, because the Pasuk distinguishes between mitzvot and chukim. So clearly mitzvot is something which does not include chukim. But generally, you're right, the word mitzvah means a commandment. Um, it's the very basis of our relationship with God. He's the mitzvah, we're the mitzvah, and he gives us mitzvot. That's Judaism, basically. I think I have a thing that the word mitzvah is the most important word in Judaism, because it's the very essence of our 
um, connection with God. And so, uh, since I've just started this particular hobby horse, I will conclude by saying, what does mitzvah not mean? Good deed. It is so often understood as do a mitzvah, help the old lady across the road, if she wants to go across the road. Um, <laughs> But that is not a mitzvah is something you have to do, not an optional extra. But unfortunately, it's often used in that sense. So I just, OK, end yeah. of little rant yeah, there. Yeah, my quid is more wise. Why doesn't it say mishpah? Yeah, I, I hear. Uh, OK. In other places, it seems to say mishpah rather than mitzvah. You're right. Um, I don't know. All I'm going to say is Rashi's faced with the Pasuk. He has to explain the Pasuk as it is. OK, we come to Pasuk Vav, a three-word Pasuk. Not long to, not much to learn. But Yeshev Yitzchak Vigrar. Yitzchak dwelt in Gerar. So Hashem, having told him not to go out of the Eretz Israel, he has to stay in Gerar. Now we'll see later, probably tonight, um, that Gerar is like part of Eretz Israel, although it's not quite Sug Aleph, it's sort of Sug Bet Eretz Israel, but it's still Eretz Israel. We know that must be the case because Hashem told him not to leave Eretz Israel. So where he is must be part of, of, of Eretz Israel. Where was the land of the Christian, by the way? Yeah, whereabouts? Gaza. Gaza. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's always been a bit tricky. Yeah, and it's we're still the Tsareno um have a difficulty with Gaza as we have just seen in a very terrible way. Anyway, Yitzchak is there in Gaza, and Pasuk Zayin, the Shalu and Shehamakom Leishto, the men of the place asked. I'll just leave it as Leishto. Um. Vayomer, and he said, Achoti he, she is my sister. Who does this sound like this way? Avraham, again. Ki leimor, because he was afraid to say, Ishti, she is my wife. Pen yahaguni, lest they kill me. Anche amakom, sorry. Lest the place, the, the men of the city kill me. Al Rivka, about Rivka. Ki tovat mare he, because she was of good appearance. Now, what does Rashi say on the words le ishto? He says it means al ishto, about his wife, or with regard to his wife. Kamo imri li achi hu. Like Avraham, when he said to Sarah, I'm going to say I'm your brother, say li achi hu, he is my brother. Now, let's just look at that case. That comes from Perakav Pasuk Yud Gimel. Abraham says to Sarah, Imri, say, that's the feminine imperative, li, achi, hu. Now, what does that li mean? It cannot mean, say, to me, he is my brother, for two reasons. One, because it doesn't make sense. Sarah says to Abraham, he is my brother. Sarah should say to Abraham, you are my brother. That's number one. Number two, it doesn't help the, uh, the uh, subterfuge. The what important thing is that Sarah will say to other people, that Abraham is her brother. So the word Lee there, when it says Imri Lee, means say about me, he is my brother. So once we say Lee there means about me, it all makes sense. So the Lama doesn't have to mean to, it can mean about. And here um, they asked him, the men of the place asked him Le Ishto about his wife. Now, again, um, Right as Rashi say that, so the, the Imri Li Achi Hu proves that the Lamad can mean about. Why does it have to mean about here? Two reasons. One, because um, they asked to his wife, followed by Vayomer, he said, Achoti He, she is my sister. That doesn't make sense. 
if Yitzhak's doing the talking, then Yitzhak must have been asked the question. Yeah, it could have been very patriarchal that she's asked a question, but he has to answer. I don't think that's what it is. So the questioner, so the question must be asked to the person who answers it. The person who answers it is Yitzhak. So the question is directed to Yitzhak. So when it says le ishto, it doesn't mean to the wife, but rather it means about the wife. The question was asked to Yitzhak. Now let's go on to. Oh, you know, the reason what happened about was there? Yeah, no. It, 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 sorry, it's also um, Yitzchak answers the question, and Yitzchak says Achoti he. So oh, right. he describes Rivka. So in which case, if that's the answer to the question, the question must be: Tell us about Rivka. And the answer is: She is my wife. She, sorry, she is my sister. Pasuket vayhi ki archu lo yam hayamim. When the days for him there were long, in other words, he'd been there a while. Vayashkev Avimelech, Melech Pelishtim, Avimelech, the king of the Pelishtim, Vayashkev gazed or looked, Ba'ad Tachalon, literally at the window or through the window, Vayar, and he saw, Vehinei Yitzchak Metzachek et Rivka Ishto. Behold, Yitzchak was Metzachek, we'll leave that untranslated for a moment with Rivka, or to Rivka, his wife. Just by the way, this isn't Rashi, but it's always a fascinating point that Yitzchak is called Yitzchak, which means he will laugh. He's named after the joy that Abraham had when he was told of his impending birth. Yitzchak doesn't seem such a funny guy. Yitzchak doesn't burst into giggles. Um, there's one occasion, and it's this Pasuk, when he is Metzachik, when he is whatever the root is, doing it. Yitzchak is in the future, by the way. Yitzchak means he will laugh, which, uh, except for this pasuk, actually fits, because somebody will laugh. But achrit yamim, at the end of days, then they will be fulfilled and happy. But meanwhile, they're not laughing yet. They will laugh in the future, but right now they're not laughing. So actually, the word Yitzchak, he will laugh, actually makes sense with Yitzchak being quite a serious sort of fellow, because the time for laughter hasn't yet come. Az yamale pino then our mouths will be filled with laughter when Bashuv Hashem and Shivat Zion, but not yet. However, in this particular Pasuk, he is Mutzachet, which means laughing in the present tense. But let's see what this Mutzachet et Rivka Ishto is. So Rashi says on the words, Ki Archu, Amar, he said, and it's obvious that Yitzchak is the one who said, Me'ata ein li lidog. From now on, I don't have to worry that she hasn't, they haven't forced her ad until now. And he didn't take care to be guarded. And then something happened. We'll come to what that is in a minute. So just the basic shot in Rashi is the Pasuk says a time period had passed. He'd been there for a long number of days, a long period of time. Um, well, I'll tell you what Rashi is saying. What Rashi is saying is it looks from, if you read the Pasuk at very first glance, that the fact that he'd been there a long time is a cause of what? Exactly. When he'd been there a long time, or even worse, key, because he'd been there a long time, key can mean because or it could mean when, because he'd been there a long time, Abimelech looked through the window. That's what the Pasuk seems to say. 
which doesn't really make sense. Why would it be that because he'd been there a long time, Abimelech looked through the window? doesn't make sense. So we say that it was what Abimelech saw through the window that was the consequence of him being along there a long time. So how does Yitzchak's actions, which were seen through the window, be the result of Yitzchak being there a long time? So the actions are going to be a certain degree of familiarity with Rivka, which is going to convince Abimelech that they are in fact husband and wife and not brother and sister. So Yitzchak thought he didn't need to worry about the subterfuge, about pretending that Rivka was his sister anymore. You'll notice what happened. Obviously, this is a reflection of the two times that Abraham did this with Sarah. What happens both times when Abraham turns up first to Mitzrayim and second to the same place where the Flishtim were and say, she's my sister. What happened? They took her. Abraham, sorry, Paro took Sarah in Egypt. Abimelech took Sarah in um, the land of the Plishtim. And Yitzchak says, that hasn't happened. We're safe. We've got away with it. They're not going to take her. So I don't need to worry anymore. So he let his guard down. As Rashi says, Lo yot nishmar. So then, Abimelech, Abimelech looked through the window, says Rashi, mitato. He saw them having relations, which is very strange, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But why does Rashi feel that that's what Yabimelech saw? Because the very next passage says, Abimelech calls Yitzchak and he says angrily, she's your wife. So it must have been something that made it very clear they were husband and wife, not brother and sister. So it must be that they were having a degree of intimacy, which made it obvious they were husband and wife. Which raises the question, how can Yitzchak act in such a uh, non-snua way to have relations in public? Um, so some want to say that it doesn't mean they were having relations. That the, the Chizkuni, who is a Rishon who appears in the Mikrogadola, or at least in some Mikrogadola, um, who often comments on Rashi. So it's a commentator commenting on Rashi. And he says that even Rashi doesn't mean literally they were Meshamesh Mitato, which means they're having relations. It doesn't mean that, but it means they were being affectionate, which led to the, which was equivalent in a sense, in terms of intimacy uh, um, uh, about as if they were having relations. Um, it is not considered really snoah for even a couple to be hugging and kissing in public, but obviously we can sort of put that in a very different category from actually having relations in a public place. Um, or you can say, um, no, that's not what happened, um, but it doesn't mean that because they were in the window, that was like in a wide open brazen manner, but the very fact that Yitzchah, that, yeah, sorry, that Abimelech had to yashkof, which is to look, to gaze, to peer with some sort of intently, means that they were being appropriately modest. But when Abimelech, who is looking more uh, deeply than is expected, that's when he saw them acting in that way. It's worth pointing out that Rashi in Yudchet Tet Zayin says an interesting thing. Yudchet Tet Zayin. So after Abraham has asked Hashem to save uh, Saddam, I think I meant, I must have meant Yudchet Tet Zayin. I'm sorry.
I actually meant your tech cafe. Why am I reading that wrong rundown? No, maybe I was right the first time. Was I right the first time? Thank you. Which which project? Which? Okay, I was right the first time. How about that? Thank you. So the angels who were being hosted by Abraham left and they gazed on the face of Saddam, which was their next mission. And Rashi says there on Vayashkifu, Kol Hashkafa Shabamikra Lara'a. Every time you find Hashkafa, with one exception, which Rashi mentions, which isn't our pasuk, then it is for a bad thing. So Avimelech is looking, I'm, I'm changing it very slightly, but in a bad way. He's looking at something not right. The act of looking is not a good look. It's not a good act of looking. I also want to look at Pasuk Kaf Aleph Chet, Perak Kaf Aleph Chet. No, I've done it wrong again. Ah, Tet, Tet. Kafal of Tet. This is the other Metzacha. Actually, there's another, another Metzacha, but this is another good one. The Terah Sarah et Ben Hagar HaMitzrit Asher Yalda LaAbraham Metzachek. Sarah saw Yishmael and uh, acting in a certain way, and she wasn't happy about it. And she told Abraham on the basis of that, he's got to go. What does Metzachek mean? Well, she gives three answers. Uh, it's not... Uh, uh, a coincidence, and he mentions these three things. On the word Metzachek in Kafa Aleph Tet, Rashi says, Loshan Avodah Zara, and he brings a proof for that. And then he says, Loshan It's an expression of sexual immorality, and he brings a proof for that. And the third one, he says, it's Ratzicha, murder, which means that Yishmael was engaged in not just sins, but the big three cardinal sins. But one of them is Metzachek, which is Gilu which is improper sexual conduct. And the proof for that is Perak Lamatet Posik Yudzayin. When Potiphar's wife slanders Yosef and she says to the members of our household, Lamatet Yudzayin. Why are getting these wrong? Sorry. Potiphar's wife complains to Potiphar about the Hebrew servant which you brought into our house, which could mean to mock me, but she's actually saying that he tried to rape me. That's her accusation. That's her slander. So yet again, implies some sort of sexual activity. Um, one more question about this uh, arises from Parshat Miketz. Uh, see if I can get this reference out, please. Mem Aleph Nun. So, in the seven years of plenty, Yosef is promoted and he's given a wife, 
And Mem Aleph Nun says, Uli Yosef Yulad Shnevanim, the Terem Tavo Shanat Haraav. Yosef, to Yosef was born two sons before the years of famine came. So it's in the seven years of plenty before the years of, plant, of, of famine. Says Rashi, why do we need to be told it's before the years of famine? Says Rashi on the Terem Tavo Shanat Haraav, Mikan Sha'adam Asur Shamesh Mitato Ra'avan. A person is forbidden to have marital relations. Before, in the time of famine. So that's why the Pasuk says that Menashe and Ephraim were born to Yosef before the famine came. That's why the Pasuk got out of its way. So we see that in a time of famine, there can be no relations between husband and wife. Why is that a question? Uh, there's famine in Israel. Ah, because there's famine. There's a famine. So this is a question asked by the Mizrahi, but the answer is quite easy. What's the answer? There's no famine. They weren't in Egypt, by the way. They were in Gerar, but there was no famine in Gerar. Is that really the halacha? Uh, apparently, yes. So that people have less kids, they're supporting us. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's it's utilitarian like that. I think it's people shouldn't be um, enjoying themselves. Um, it's the other purpose of sexual activity. <laughs> it's not appropriate to indulge in that way while people are suffering. Yeah. I don't think it's so. Uh, it's, uh, let fewer mouths to feed. Um, but so, they, so you can ask the question, because after all, this is a time of famine, but you can answer it by saying, Dafka, he's in a place where there isn't a famine. Okay, I think we will stop there. Um, we, so that concludes Pasuk Chet, and we'll get ready for Pasuk Tet next week. Can I ask just on that? I think the reason the Pasuk says the Adachalon maybe adds to that, and the second thing you gave, but maybe, like, what Pasuk did they say, like, did they say about Adachalon, what happened to us by Ashket, right? Yeah. Maybe it was... They weren't obviously in public, which we kind of think when we read this puzzle, but maybe it was that he just looked out from the window a bit secretively, a bit badly. Well, I, I think uh, you're right. Uh, I hadn't seen that, but I think you're right. I mean, there aren't many mentions of Chalonot. Yeah. It's quite a rare thing. So why do we need to know about the architecture of this place, the, the window, outside the window? So I think, first of all, the Yashkov, which is not by Yar. By Yar is like you happen to be seeing something. The Yashkov is you look carefully for it. And then your suggestion, I think it makes sense, he looked carefully through the window, so he's really invading their privacy. Now, it, it still raises the question why they were acting in that way, even in the sight of a window. But it, it, it's a little bit to our heart easier to understand that he, that Abimelech was making a real effort to see what was going on more than was appropriate. Maybe he had been suspicious that they were actually married. Maybe. So he was like spying on them. Yeah, maybe. Although. I don't know if there's yeah. a for that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Thank you very much.